Let me, uh, let me pray one more, uh, one more time. God, you are on the move. Father, we've been a church that has been privileged to love people throughout the week because we are privileged to be a church that you have put on mission, Father. Father, we are not unique in that you are moving. Father, there are churches in this town that you are moving. Father, we pray for Vital this week. We pray for the Assembly of God Church this week, Father. We pray for Alive Again this week, Father. We pray for the Presbyterian Church, Father. We pray for, for churches around the globe right now that are meeting, Father. And here we are, and we get to be a part of something, Father. Father, we saw this week that, that churches in China are getting buildings knocked down because they would be so bold to declare your name. Father, it's a reminder that this is not about us. This is not about a building. This is not about anything but you, Jesus. And we get to be here. There is not a person from the stage to the seat that is here by accident. You purposed us to be here. You have a reason for us to be here in this moment. We thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I was uh, praying uh, a little bit ago, uh, maybe two years ago, I was spending my time in the morning uh, praying before God, and I got to that time in my, in my time of prayer where it was time for me to confess my sin before God. And uh, I, I was thinking about the day before, I was thinking about my morning, I was thinking about uh, just everything about the day before, and, and I, and I kind of just sat there, not sat there, but as I was walking, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I got nothing to confess. I had my first good day. I had my first good day where I don't have to say anything to God and say, I'm so sorry. And, and in that moment, God didn't say anything to me. Uh, but what he did was he showed me a face. He reminded me of something from the day before where, where I was in a time of prayer the day before. And I was agonizing over the pray for one. I was agonizing over people that, that don't know Jesus Christ. And I was praying for people by name that God would seek after the one and that he might actually use me for that. I remember that time of prayer and I saw a face and it reminded me of this scene where I was in my coffee shop uh, working on a sermon and, and, and there just so happened that my one came walking in and sat down at my coffee table while I was working on the sermon, reading God's word, things that were awesome. And he sits down and I kept typing and I kept working on a sermon. I, 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 I kind of gave him the time of day, but I, I made this the focus. And, and I chose what was good, sermon prep, over what was great, the person that I was agonizing in prayer that morning. And, and, he, and God reminded me that in James it says, for, for, those, uh, for whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so God showed me this face and showed me that, Jason, you say publicly, in prayer, you say you value the one. You value people far from God, coming to know God. You say this is of great value. You know that this was the right thing to do to close this up and to focus here. And you chose not to do it. For you, Jason, that is sin. And he reminded me of this person. And it reminded me of a, of a concept of sin that, that if I value somebody, I will value the fact that when I wrong that person, I need to own that wrong. If I don't own the wrong, do I really value the person that I have wronged? 
If, if I say, if you say to me, Jason, that is wrong, and I say, no, I disagree with you. I don't care what your word says. I don't care what you say. I'm going to disagree that it is wrong. Do I value the person that is saying it? And I think today as we look at this element of confession, something that many of us grew out of traditions with, full of confession, full of bringing it before God, there's this concept for you and I. Do we own our sin? Do we see sin as a problem? As we own sin, would God, would we communicate before God that He is of great value? You and I, all of us in this room, have a very real problem with sin. But for every single person in this room, we have a very real solution. And when we go to our solution, Jesus Christ, and we own that solution, and we move forward with Jesus, there is then a party that erupts because we don't sit in doom and gloom over our sin. We confess it, and then we party with the Jesus that died for us. John addresses this. So we're going to look at 1 John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's towards the, the end of the Bible. If not, it will be on the screens. Here's what John says in the book of 1 John. We'll look at the back end of, of chapter 1 and a little bit from chapter 2. He says, if we say we have no sin, we, 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 uh, I'm sorry. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We confess our sins. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, not some, not bits and pieces, all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. Why? Because if we're claiming Jesus and we say we do not have sin, Jesus came to die for us, that we're claiming then that, well, why, if Jesus didn't have to come die for me, you, you make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. John is addressing something that is an issue in the Catholic Church. John is addressing something that is an issue in our church. John is addressing something that is an issue in all churches. John is addressing something that is an issue whenever people get together. People claim to believe one thing and then they do another. They claim this is of great importance and then they live completely opposed to that. John is addressing people that fake perfection. That, that would claim, I do not have sin. I have nothing to confess. I have arrived. And you and I might say, well, that's not me. I own my sin. I understand that I do have sin. Well, then John brings up this element of confession. Are we lying to ourselves? Do we live in this way? Do we live, if we say we have sin, what is our time of confession like? When have we gone before God owning our sin? This should be something that is a regular part of our lives. The verb to confess is in the active form, which in the Greek would say that you and I should be doing this on a daily basis. This should be a regular pattern of our lives. And, and what, is, what does confess mean? Confess at its core means to agree that if God says it is sin, I am not going to disgrace him and say, I disagree with you. No, if God says it is sin, I'm going to confess my sin, which means I agree with you, God. Which means, God, you see this as an issue. God, you see this as wrong. I'm not going to try to theologically or philosophically try to get around this. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to own it. And then I am going to move forward. And moving forward means that I get to go 
to Jesus Christ, who is faithful and just. That I don't have to live in my sin. That I don't have to stay there in doom and gloom. That I get to go to the one who died for me. So pre-Jesus, without Jesus, there is defilement. Without Jesus, there is guilt. Without Jesus, there is punishment. But then Jesus enters into the equation, dies for me. And now, not only is there grace, not only is there mercy, not only is there heavenly war, now I get everything because I get Jesus. This is a glorious thing, but this then creates the issue that John is talking about. You and I, we understand, we have sin. All of us. We also understand a perfect God. We also understand that God that is gracious and merciful. So you know what that breeds? You You know what John is addressing? He's addressing people that have diluted the seriousness of sin because they understand sin. Well, claiming, to, claiming the graciousness of God. They say that they minimize it. They, they've said that, you know what, I, God is so good. I don't have to take sin seriously because it's not really causing an issue between me and God. What? What does that say about your walk with God? Here, let me, let me paint it this way. Can my, I need my, my dog, my dog to come forward. <laughs> seriously, my dog, come up here. Uh, so in my house, I have this dog named... I have this dog named Bruin, and he's a fat, he's a fat tub of lard that eats everything. And uh, if you walked into my house, he would, uh, he would respond to the name idiot, because I call him idiot all the time. Uh, and uh, because he eats things up, he's, he just mopes around and whatnot. And so there's also a rule in my house, although I love my Boston sports, and everybody that plays the Boston sports teams, they're idiots, but we, well, I'll put that aside. Uh, but, but so, like, in my house, we're not allowed to say idiot. We're not allowed to call other people idiots, but then I call my dog an idiot. And then there's my four-year-old daughter. Who here, so I walk into the house, and I say, Bruin, you big tub of lard, you idiot. And she'll go, Daddy, we're not allowed to say idiot. So then I have to own it. Then I have to do something. So I walk up to Bruin. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's the amount of value that Bruin has in my life. That's how I own it there. But then I'll be driving around. And in New Jersey, it's not, it's not you know, I'm accustomed to people making me mad while I'm driving. And so I'll be driving. And someone will cut me off. or will do something. Uh, they won't use a jump handle correctly. Things of that nature. And, uh, and I won't flick a bird. I won't curse or anything like that. But I'll, I'm accustomed to being like, you idiot. And then Reagan from the back seat. Now you were not allowed to say idiot. So then, if I value the person that's before me, I have to own it in some way, shape, or form. I have to teach it to, to Reagan. And so then I'll get up beside them, and they don't understand why I'm waving, why I'm saying I'm sorry. They just think, oh, I'm just being a nice guy when no, they made me mad. But I, go, I drive up, and I'll, I'll own it in that regards. But we can laugh those off and, and whatnot. But what, what about when we're a parent? And we walk into our house, and our kid makes us super mad. And we want to we fly off. We want to say something. And, and what if I was to walk into, into my house and Landon was to make me mad and I was to call him an idiot. Thankfully, I don't think I've ever done that. But I know words mean a lot to Landon as my oldest son. And if I were to walk in and call him an idiot, he, I know he would go up to his room. He would sulk. He would cry. He, it would destroy him. Now, if I were to walk then up to, his, up to his room and go up there and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Would that show that he has great value? Would that show that I'm really owning my wrong? No. If Landon is of great value, how I handle my wrong will communicate that to him. And so we can treat 
are wrong, like we would treat a, go- uh, a dog, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or, or like we would another car where we're like, oh, I'm sorry, or like a son where we, we maybe we spend a few days, maybe we spend, we invest in some time, maybe, maybe we, so, but then what about God? If God is on this continuum of importance, how do we communicate Him value? Because the punishment also communicates value and importance, doesn't it? To kill a dog is one penalty, a rightfully owned penalty. To kill a human is a greater penalty. Why? Because we assign worth. If you are to threaten my life, there is a penalty to that. But if you make a threat against the office of the presidency of the United States, there is a much greater uh, uh, penalty to that. Why? Because of value. And so if God is of value and we want to laugh off that I said something wrong or I don't want to believe what your word says about a sin issue, if we're to do that, what does it communicate about the value that we're giving to God Almighty? And yes, he has every right to look at this and say, it is serious and here is the punishment of the sin because I am of such worth. Man, you can go see, see mom now. The wrath of God shows that I have a need for Jesus. But I don't have to stay there. John will go on to say, perfect love casts out fear. So where there is the wrath of God, and and where I understand then the need for Jesus, I don't live there. I understand that Jesus then dies for me, that Jesus is love. Love is proven at the cross, and then love drives me forward. So if you and I can acknowledge that we have sin, what are we to do? I would argue we increase our value and our love for God where we're not going to look at an action, or no, where we would look at an action and have our God in mind and say the action is unthinkable. I'm not trying to scare my kids into perfection. I want them to fall so in love with Jesus Christ. The action becomes unthinkable. And so we start by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then we don't stop confessing. The Jesus that died for us is driving us to holiness. And we confess Him. And as we confess Him, we confess that we want to grow into the likeness of the person in which we confess. So John then goes on to say, My little children, a paternal phrase, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing to a group of people and he has a heart for them. He has a love for them that I don't want you to live in your sin. I don't want you to stay in a place of sin. I want you to grow from this place. I want you to understand that confession, true confession, as you grow in confession, here's what you can't grow in. You can't grow in sin. If you grow in confession, you're not growing in sin. If you grow in confession, what should be happening is that sin starts to decrease as you own your wrong. Because I don't want the appearance of holiness. I want actual holiness. Where I'm growing in understanding of my holy Jesus. I'm reading about his life. I'm understanding how he walked perfectly. And as I grow in my understanding of Jesus, I understand how unholy I am and how there is plenty for me to confess as I grow in my understanding of God. Every day I have something to confess. And so where we, as in our church, we would reject priestly confession. 
we sometimes go so far to reject actual confession. And this is where, if I'm honest, I agree with the Catholic Church. I have spoken to Catholic people that would look at churches like ours and say, you don't really care about sin. You don't really care about holiness. And although they can maybe will sometimes point to tradition, here's one, one area that they will point to. And if I'm honest, they are right. We have lost confession. We have lost this practice. We can minimize sin. And so where we don't have liturgical times of confession, you and I better have times of personal confession. And so I don't go to another to say, hey, let me pardon you from sin. I don't go to another to say, pray this, memorize this, say this, do this, and you will be forgiven. No, I go to Jesus Christ, who is all of my forgiveness, who says it is finished, and I agree with him, and I own that, but I will go to another for accountability. I had a fight with my wife. Uh, we were early in marriage. I don't think we had kids yet. And uh, at the time, I really loved soda. And at the time, uh, and maybe still, Ava loved filling up glasses uh, full and only drinking half of it. And so we had this situation where we were having dinner. It was going to be a nice dinner at home. And, uh, and she's like, Jay, you're pouring yourself a nice glass of uh, my favorite uh, Pepsi, a uh, wild cherry Pepsi. Pepsi's better than Coke. And I was like, this is great. I love my soda. And so she's like, hey, can you pour me a glass as well? And so I, I love my soda. And so I didn't want to waste any soda. I don't like wasting things. And so I, I poured Ava some soda halfway. And I brought it to her. And I thought I was doing a good thing. We're not waiting. I was like, Ava, you only drank half a, half a soda anyway. So here's some soda. And she, she, looks at, and she looks at me and she's like, are you treating me like a child? Every good husband knows how you shouldn't respond. I, it was early in our marriage. And I, I said, well, if you, finished, if you finished your drinks, I wouldn't have to pour half of a glass. <laughs> Went over like a fart in a spacesuit. And, uh, and, and to, to, to then Ava had comments back with that, to which I had comments. <laughs> And there we are early in our marriage, and this right here caused us to say some of the nastiest things we've ever said to each other because I treated her like a child. Now, in that moment, I didn't really own my sin. In that moment, I didn't go to somebody and get accountability. I didn't, I didn't like, you know, whatnot. So then fast forward a few years. I've not really dealt with this. I've not really grown in this area. And Ava and I are having another discussion. And so now I'm getting heated. I go to the gym to work out and kind of just blow off some steam in, in a healthy way. But here's the unhealthy thing we do. We continue the conversation over text message. Every marriage knows the best conversation happens over text message. And so there we were arguing over text message and both getting heated. I leave the gym and I call Ava and we continued the discussion and it got to the point where I said one of the nastiest things I've ever said to my wife. And I hung up and in that moment I knew I, this was, this was something that I no longer wanted in my life. I'll host, if you guys can start uh, passing out communion cups. I knew in that moment that I needed, to, I needed to do something about this. And so I called Graham. And I wasn't calling Graham to say, Graham, I need you to pardon me from my sin. I, sin. I was calling Graham to say, Graham, this came out of my mouth. And I said it. And it felt ugly and disastrous. And it felt terrible saying it to somebody else. And Graham didn't beat me up. He didn't say, you are a terrible, no good loser. He said, Jason, you know that is wrong. 
And now every time Ava and I have a discussion, Graham comes alongside me and says, do not go to that place. He helps hold me accountable. And I know he has not shared this story with anybody because we have mutual trust for one another. He is not forgiving me sin. He's a friend of mine that is helping hold me accountable for my sin. And so you and I definitely do have sin. We're not going to another for the forgiveness of sin. We're going to another for for the accountability of sin. But we do bring our sin to a priest. But not an earthly priest. To our great high priest. And that is what I want to do in this moment. I want to remember our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And I want to pause in a time of communion. To reflect upon what God needs to deal with me right here and now. And if Jesus is of worth, if he died for the sin, if we confess that, then shouldn't we be willing to own that sin right here and now? And so let's reflect. I'll pray and then we'll take communion together. God, a part of this hurts having now the third service to publicly declare before you and declare before the audience, Lord, that I put my pants on just like anybody else and I have sinned. Lord, you have been dealing this week with my pride. I've had to say it publicly now numerous times, Father, and it hurts. To know that there is nothing in my life that brings any worth, but you bring worth to my life. And to try to assume pride in anything but you, to boast in anything but you, Father, it goes against everything I believe about you. So on the one hand, Father, I thank you for convicting me. I thank you for dealing with me. And I thank you for pushing me forward and us forward. In this moment, Father, there are numerous things that we need to deal with before you. Would we do that? And we would remember your forgiveness at the cross. In your name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, he was having dinner, a Passover dinner, and he broke bread and he passed it around and he said, this is going to mean something different from now on. It's going to be in remembrance. It's going to represent that my body was broken for you. So as often as you get together, I want you to take this bread in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. And he said this cup now has a new meaning. It's a new relationship. And this this new relationship is, is formed by my blood that was spilt for you. As often as you get together, I want you to remember that my blood was spilt for you on your behalf. And to do this in remembrance of me, let's take the cup. We get to proclaim every time we take communion that we don't sit in sin, we don't live in sin, but we proclaim a God who is coming back in all forgiveness, in all mercy. That is my Jesus. And that is where John goes. So, So this is what he said already. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To what? Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from some, no, all unrighteousness. And then he continues by saying, but if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. How is he described? Righteous. 
He is the, the propitiation. Propitiation means appeasement, satisfaction for our sins, and not just ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's offered to the world. Would they take it? And so you and I, as we confess our sin, as we bring it to Jesus Christ, are we willing to let him deal with it at any cost? And when we bring it to him, we're bringing it to our advocate, Jesus. What does an advocate do? An advocate advocates. An advocate is one that's going between you and another. In a legal sense, it's a counselor. Guess what? We have a, a, a legal counselor. Our defense attorney is Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good defense attorney. Why? He has an in with the judge. He has a pretty good relationship with him. He has an ear with the judge. He's, he's in harmony with the judge. And not only that, he's the only one that can make a case like anybody else. He's the only one that can look at the judge and, says, and say, Judge, there is the wrath of God over all people because of sin. Judge, you are right to say this is that you are of such worth and of such value. You are right to say this is the punishment. But, but, but God, there are people that, that said they believe that you took the punishment out on me. They've accepted the punishment that you've took out on me. You demand death. May I remind you that I died in their place. And so God, if you are righteous, God, if you are just, God, if you are perfect, you cannot punish the same sin twice. He is our defense. He is our pardon. He is the one that has appeased, satisfied as the propitiation of our sin. He is our grounds to stand before God. Knowing that he looks at us and sees Jesus. I, I really want to, I want us to see this. If where's, Did I saw Jameer come in here? Jameer, get up here. All right, Jameer, get up here. All right, you, can you come up here too? Can you sit? Yeah, right, right here. Come up here. Yeah, sit in a seat, okay? And then can you come up here for a second? All right, can you, I, I need a judge. And so you're going you're gonna to play the role of, of judge. This is my judge jersey. It's not mine. I hate the, I hate the Yankees. Um, but Aaron Judge doesn't need his jersey anymore, and so um, anybody? No. All right, all right. Judge, come up, come stand up here. Stand right in front of these two people. Take a mallet. Some of us know the mallet very well. Here's here's the judge, and so uh, we'll we'll say you 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 are you're going to play the role of the evil one, Satan, and and that's not a fun role to play. Okay, okay. And you're gonna you're gonna play the role of mankind. Everybody at some point is going to die and, and stand before the judge. Everybody at one point will be in in the seat. And the accuser loves to accuse. The accuser loves to share every sin ever committed, every thought, every action, everything this person has ever done that is not holy as God is holy. And this person then has, how is this person going to defend themselves? Are they going to stand before the judge and say, I don't agree with you? Whew. You want to say that to the judge? Are they going to say, oh, but God, but God, 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 okay, yes, I did a few wrongs, okay, <laughs> but I did all this good. That's like going to the judge and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Does that really show seriousness? Well, what about, what, okay, well, maybe you'll stand before the judge and you say, but judge, hey, remember Buddha? Remember Muhammad? I followed them for a little bit. And the judge is going to say, Buddha, Muhammad? They dead. I dealt with them years ago. This person has but one defense. They have to own every wrong because every wrong is true. And then they have to bring in one defense. One and one and only defense. 
bring me my son. Son, come up here. The son then stands before the judge with the person in the seat, reminding the judge, judge, I took this punishment on. Judge, you've already punished this person in me. Judge, the sin, he, the ju the, uh, Jesus is not minimizing the sin. Jesus is not disagreeing with it. Jesus is not saying the sin never happened. Jesus is fully aware of the sin that has taken place. And he's saying, I took it. She believes. She accepts it. And so God's wrath has been appeased. And it doesn't have to be appeased in hell. It doesn't have to be appeased separate from God. It is appeased by the death of the Son. And then there's life forever after because the Son did not stay dead. He ain't Muhammad. He ain't Buddha. He's alive and he's well. And he stands as our defense. And the judge is then going to take the mallet and not be focused on the evil one. He's not going to be focused on all the accusations. He won't even be focused on, on the person that stands before him. The judge will look at the situation and get his eyes fixated on Jesus. And then comes a sound that some of us are familiar with. The verdict. Not guilty. Innocent. Why? Because it's been paid for and it's done and it's finished. I took it and now we move forward in love. Y'all can have a seat. You can burn that jersey if you want. Uh, <laughs> you cannot have it. Get out of here. I got Monday night. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is our fix to the issue with sin. Christians and non-Christians alike have an issue with sin. Where do we take it? Are we taking it to Jesus? Are we trying to deal with it ourselves? Do, do we see that our sin is a very real issue? Sin is ugly. We can try to go to a confession booth. We can try to say this or that. Like we can try to make the confession booth our defense before God. But what God's going to make? No, your defense is Jesus. We can try to get a good filter to hide the ugliness of our sin, but the sin remains. No, our issue with sin goes one place, to Jesus himself. We confess the name of Jesus, and we keep confessing the name of Jesus. And some of us have walked in here not claiming Jesus as our defense attorney, not claiming Jesus as our defender. And that is where it begins, and that's where it continues to go. And so if you walked in here claiming yourself and your own actions as you as your defense, old religious practices as your defense, that does not hold weight before God Almighty. The only thing that holds weight is Jesus, our defender. And so I invite you in this moment to, to read with me now in Romans chapter 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and, and is saved. Some of us have never claimed Jesus as our defense attorney. Guess what? When we invite Jesus into the process as our, as our defense attorney, he's never lost a case. He stands perfect before God Almighty because the sins of the world has been paid for on his back. And our choice is do we take it 
or do we literally die having rejected it? So let me pray, and then we're going to sing a song called Defender, claiming Jesus as our defense, singing, worshiping, partying about that. Let me pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the reminder that I don't stay in my sin, that you died for me in love to push me forward. I'm not dead in my sin. I'm alive in Christ because you are alive. You are alive and you make me alive. And Jesus, I know that there are people in this place that have never claimed you as their defense, have never owned you, have never believed, have never confessed you as Lord and Savior, have never confessed that they are wrong and that you have paid the penalty of their sin. Father, would you move now in the lives of people to go before you and to declare, to confess, to believe. And if that is you, would you pray something like this in your seat to God? God, you are of great value. You are of great worth. My sin is worthless before you. But Father, I believe today that you look through the worthlessness of my sin and see me as of worth. Worth enough to send your one and only son to die for me. I do believe that my sin has the penalty of death. Eternity apart from you, I believe it is deserved. But I believe killed your son in my place but then he rose so that I would have life and not remain dead in my sin I believe in the name of Jesus today I confess the name of Jesus today and as I confess his name I confess I want to live more and more like him father I am yours and you are mine. I thank you that you are my defender. I thank you that you are my defense attorney. And I thank you that you have a perfect track record. In your name, amen. I want to share one more thing with you. Have a, have a seat just for a hot second. Anything that my Jesus died for, we recognize that. We see him as defender. Anything my Jesus died for, my pastor, my pastor David Ritter once said to me, anything my Jesus died for is no laughing matter. So as we claim Jesus Christ as our defender, anything that was, that was killed upon, that was anything that was punished, anything that was bore on his back is no laughing matter. And so you and I every day have things to confess before God and to take seriously. So as we leave, here. I want to leave you with just a few quick suggestions as we confess our sin before God. The first one is to name it, to own it, to, to call it what it is. When I say I've been dealing with pride this week, to say it out loud, I am calling it what it is. It is pride, which leads to the second one. Own it. That I have to own. This is wrong. I have to be in agreement. This is not good. This is not right. I have to own it before God. And then the third thing, as we confess our sin, we have to invite it. We have to invite the Holy Spirit into the process to make us more like Jesus Christ. But then we also invite others into the process, not for pardoning sin, but to help hold us accountable. 
So who would you hold? Who would you invite into the process? To me, that is a captivating environment where I would trust somebody to come into the equation, to confess my sin to them, and for them not to go other places, not to share it publicly, not to make an Insta story out of it, but where we would have mutual trust and that we would hold each other accountable, where we would pray for each other, where we would check up on one another. That is a place that is a captivating environment to me. And the last thing is that we would memorize it, that we would go to Scripture and say, God, you said, I've hidden my, you've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I would memorize scripture and deal with that. King David, I, we're gonna, you're going to get one of these pieces of paper on your way out. King David had things to own before God. He murdered somebody and had an affair. So if he can own his sin before God, so can we. <laughs> and so he wrote Psalm 51 to, to own his sin before God. You're going to get this. I want you to read it. That's my challenge to you this week is to, a Psalm 51 challenge, to read this, to think about the sin in our lives, to own it, and then journal four questions about owning our sin and moving forward, not staying in our sin, not being beat up. The accuser wants to beat us up, and we have life in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Praise God for that. So let me pray. Grab one of these on your way out. If you said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, there are Bibles back there. Our, our starting point that just started this past week is our is full. It doesn't have space for anybody else. Praise God for that. But November 10th, there's another one starting that will tell you a little bit more about what it means to walk with Jesus. Get in on that. Join that. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that there is not a single person here by accident. I thank you that you have brought us to this space and to this place. And I thank you that it is all about the name of Jesus. Would we leave here with you ingrained in our hearts and your name on the tip of our tongues. We love you in your name. Amen. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you. And we hope you have a fantastic week.